and welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. On this episode, we're thrilled to have Henry Gabbing, the co-founder and co-CEO at Finoa, a regulated crypto asset provider offering institutional investors and corporations a full range of financial services, including custody and staking. Prior to Finoa, Henry worked as a consultant at McKinsey & Company serving financial institutions and high-tech companies across the globe. Enjoy listening. I'd say without further ado, Henrik, welcome to InCheck with Fintech. Thank you very much, Roger. It's great to be here. Always start with a bit of an introduction on yourself, and you're obviously the co-founder CEO of Finoa, or co-CEO, I have to say. Um, so it'd be great to yeah, maybe get an introduction first on uh, Henrik and then on, uh, on Finoa. No, happy to. So uh, Henrik has started Finoa in 2018, uh, was working in uh, the consulting industry before with uh, McKinsey, uh, servicing uh, financial institutions across the globe, uh, was working a lot in the high-tech industry as well. And um, kind of uh, before that, actually did my, my, my master's degree in, in, in San Francisco. And that's kind of when I started really uh, digging into the tech industry. Uh, that was 2013. Uh, and always kind of thought, okay, like building a, a company in tech, that's really um, one of the, the, the goals that I have and that, that I kind of wanted to work towards. And then in 2016, I got the chance to uh, invest in crypto for the first time. So I had the right friends kind of telling me, hey, you should have a, have a look here. Um, and that was more from an investment perspective uh, in the beginning, right? They were saying, hey, this is developing very well. Have a look at it. So I got intrigued um, about the, yeah, kind of the, the year that that was generating in such a short period of time. And when you suddenly figure there is some, some value increasing, you may as well understand what the technology is behind it and where you actually safeguarding those assets because I was, let's say, handling a couple of hundreds of euros. It wasn't much more, but uh, you, I was just wondering, okay, I have these here sitting somewhere on the internet. Uh, um, how do I actually protect those? How do I manage those Bitcoin? And uh, that's really when, when I started then with my uh, roommate back in the day, uh, Chris, who's now my co-founder, when we started to think, okay, this industry is still so nascent, it's still so young, uh, and the services that we were using were so um, yeah, unsophisticated to some degree. So why don't we really focus on building something that helps this market to become more mainstream? And uh, we very much came um, from our own user experience, which felt always insecure, which felt always kind of unsafe. Um, and that was kind of the, the birth hour of what is now Finoa, um, because we wanted to build a product that helps you to safeguard your crypto assets, that helps you to access your crypto assets. Um, and literally from our network, we figured that uh, B2B customers, institutional investors, had the th same problems that Chris and I were facing, but just at a much larger scale, much more risk involved, more money at stake. And that's when we focused on this market, so focused on the B2B sector. And when you now fast forward, five years. So we incorporated the company in 2018. When you fast forward five years to where we are now, that's exactly our uh, go-to market. So we help institutional investors, B2B customers, corporates across the globe in managing, safeguarding their crypto assets. Um, from safeguarding only, we kind of grew into a more, let's say, multi-product company. Uh, so provide different uh, services just as trading uh, of crypto assets or the staking of crypto assets, a very blockchain specific uh, use case. And yeah, provide that with our company out of Berlin uh, in, in Germany. 
to customers all across the globe. I think right now we serve around 300 B2B customers spanning from San Francisco to, to Hong Kong. So literally across the globe and uh, helping them in, in uh, managing their crypto assets, accessing crypto assets um, and all that as a, as a regulated financial institution. So we are regulated uh, in Germany under the German uh, Financial Supervisory Authority. So literally full-blown financial institution um, for crypto assets or specifically for crypto assets and, and have been providing this service for now five years um, and uh, experienced uh, the ups and downs of, of the crypto markets. 2016, having the right friends that told you to uh, buy crypto. I wish I had such friends. Unfortunately, I missed out. <laughs> I think, yeah, but what I really, <laughs> I, I agree, but uh, I really missed out when I was studying in San Francisco, that was 2013. I really missed out on kind of, there was a lot of crypto already in, in San Francisco, but I didn't meet the right people there. I think that would have been even a much, much better moment to, to go into the crypto market. <laughs> <laughs> so easy in hindsight to say, right? Um, Hey, you say you manage and access uh, kind of crypto assets for 300 B2B customers worldwide. Is there is there different dynamics? I mean, is it an easy business to run globally? Is it not very localized when it comes to these rules and regulation? Or is that not the case because crypto is so in its infancy stage? Or yeah, what does that look like? Um, it's a yes and no. Um, so maybe I start a bit with explaining like what kind of customers we serve. Um, and then I go a bit how we kind of grew our international presence. Um, so on the one hand side, we provide our services to everything which is on the B2B side investing into, into crypto. And that can be actual institutional investors like venture capital or family offices, asset managers that hold a portfolio of assets and crypto is a subset of such, or they have a, uh, let's say 100% uh, um, portfolio strategy going all into different crypto assets. Um, the second part is actual corporates um, that handle crypto in uh, for any reason. There can be different use cases. Um, one public uh, uh, use case that we serve is, for example, a subsidiary of Deutsche Telekom in, in Germany. It's called T-Systems. They run infrastructure, so they literally run um, um, nodes for blockchains, so literally part, they run part of the decentralized infrastructure. They are being compensated by the blockchain in tokens, and then they need uh, a partner um, to help them to safeguard those assets and manage those assets. And that's where we come in. And then the third part, and that's where we call yeah, kind of the crypto native space, that's the, the, the builders in the space. So actually the startups, founders, uh, or founding teams that are building um, uh, either crypto uh, service companies or the actual protocols themselves. So the actual blockchain uh, or the teams behind a certain blockchain uh, or behind a certain cryptocurrency, those are working with us, our platform to then safeguard the treasury uh, of their uh, of their tokens to safeguard um, kind of the the uh, um, the access to the to the ecosystem and then who help. Um, their ecosystem with the help of Finoa to kind of grow, to kind of incentivize. And uh, that's the kind of this third bucket of, of B2B customers that we see. And if you um, already look at this customer base, you already can probably feel that it's quite an international group of, of token holders that we work with, especially on this um, uh, crypto native builder side. Most of those teams are fully decentralized. They sit all across the globe. Um, they often um, may have a official incorporated headquarters somewhere, but the teams themselves are completely 
um, operating from, from across the globe. And that very early on in our journey gave us quite an international footprint because those teams then uh, refer us as a, as a provider uh, to, to other teams they work with, to other protocols that are being built. And with that, we kind of grew very quickly internationally. Of course, and you mentioned it, uh, Roger, there is this ex the aspect of regulation. So we are regulated as a financial institution out of uh, Germany. Um, currently, that is also not applicable to the wider European Union because it's uh, quite a puzzle of different regulations in the 27 member states. So this is really for Germany. But if uh, we are being introduced or if we have customers reaching out to us uh, who want to work with us, who want to onboard with us, um, there's a concept called reverse solicitation. So we can take them on board. It's a freedom of contract ultimately. But what I can't do is go out and put a billboard uh, on, uh, let's say, 27 uh, European capitals and, and broadcast our uh, marketing me uh, message there. That's where regulation kind of gives you a bit of a, uh, let's say, a bit of a limit. But um, what really always has been our, our um, growth case has been that our customers, they came to us because they figured, okay, I want to... Um, do something different and safeguarding my assets, my crypto assets. I maybe want to diversify my portfolio of providers that I'm working with. I don't want to have everything in one jurisdictions and we can touch uh, uh, probably also the, the US market in a bit where you currently see how, what that means when suddenly the, the, the tides uh, have changed very much in terms of crypto friendliness. And that's where we kind of as this European provider come in and, and, uh, and help customers across the globe. Um, to then safeguard their assets. Interesting. I mean, with touching on so many different group of clients of customers, basically, um, it's and you do obviously custody. It sounds almost like your mission is to make the crypto space a safer place. Is that fair to say? I think that's very much where we start from, right? Because I mean, ultimately, we are um, an infrastructure provider, right? Like we provide secure infrastructure to manage your, your your crypto assets and that then became a regulated financial service because regulation kind of evolved over time since, since 2018 but the the initial idea was really okay we want to um, build out of a trusted jurisdiction which we chose germany because both my co-founder and i uh, uh, were born in germany said okay we want to build it here we don't want to build it in like some arbitrary offshore jurisdiction uh, but actually build it in a uh, in more like a what we call it a trusted environment um, and then uh, we said, okay, we really want to help institutional investors to get into crypto, to, to be more inclined to go into crypto because they have a trusted partner to work with. And with that, we wanted to help the entire industry to become more mainstream and to grow. And I think um, that really hasn't changed since we started in 2018. It's still uh, our, our mission and um, there's still also a lot of work to do. I think we have seen enough examples over the last 12, 18 months in crypto that um, uh, yeah, kind of reconfirm our initial mission that we are still on an adoption curve, we are still on a maturity curve of the industry, um, and we obviously want to play our, our part in, uh, in doing so. Which is also why there's such a massive opportunity, right? So this is obviously why Finoa came up, is because of that opportunity at infancy that you saw then jumped on and now you're a fully uh, run business with 300 customers worldwide. No, exactly. And I think one opportunity that we saw early was as well, we, the very, very initial days, we thought, okay, let's build 
technology uh, that we can then, for example, sell to incumbent banks, uh, traditional banks, so that they can then service uh, crypto on their platforms. <clears throat> but we then very quickly figured they were not ready, um, especially in 2018. And um, for a lot of them, I think this statement still holds true today. And that's when we kind of pivoted away and said, okay, if it's not enough just to build technology and then have banks providing the financial service, we might as well do it ourselves, right? And that's when we really went out with the brand Finoa uh, decided, okay, we're going to uh, actually not only build the technology, but build the financial service on top that we then bring to the to our customers. That then got uh, uh, regulated very quickly in, in Germany. And then for us, it was clear, okay, now we become a regulated institution um, and build this uh, this this uh, yeah, crypto-focused financial institution or crypto bank, for the lack of a better word, ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And when we <clears throat> talk a bit more about the kind of crypto market today, right? I hear a lot of talk about the second crypto winter. You feel we still are in the second crypto winter? Are we just coming out of it? Or where do you feel we are in that regard? Well, it's it's certainly not the second down cycle that we've seen in crypto, right? So uh, I think it's the second time that we actually call it crypto winter. Yeah. Because um, just for the kind of mainstream adoption of that word. But um, so for us as a company, for example, it is the second winter that we that we have to pass um so when we got started 2018 that was just after the the last hype cycle um there was a lot of um, you may remember the icos initial coin offerings uh, it was 2017 and then 2018 the market was quite dire uh into far into 2019 and then only into into the kind of general uh, uh market push that we saw in, in the early days of the pandemic that's when also the crypto market kind of woke up again. And so we are kind of um, used to this environment. Of course, uh, it was nice to see 21, 20, or like 2020, 21, with uh, a lot of uh, bullish um, sentiment in the market that also really uh, allowed us to grow significantly as a, as a company and, uh, and very quickly. And, and now we kind of go through this next um, um, crypto winter, but Again, to come back to my initial point, also in 2016, we saw a significant downturn in, in kind of the Bitcoin uh, uh, environment, which was very Bitcoin focused back in the day. Now it's more diverse uh, uh, than just Bitcoin. But I think that's just one of the cycles that we've uh, that we see in in, an, in a new industry. And this one is for us specifically uh, the second one to, to go through. And uh, having seen this before definitely helps to keep to keep sane and uh, um, to know uh, kind of this, this too shall pass, right? That's, uh, that's what I tell the, the team. <laughs> How does it impact you, such uh, these winters as a business? Well, in general, our business model is definitely um, affected by market price fluctuation, right? And because, um, I mean, in general, also as in traditional finance, um, I mean, and the, the core product that we sell is custody, right? So, so custody of assets, the safeguarding of assets. And you normally charge, and that is in traditional finance as well as in crypto, you charge a percentage fee of the assets that you safeguard, that you have in custody. And of course, um, or well, we charge this based on the dollar denomination or euro denomination of the asset. And if that price fluctuates, then of course that has an effect on, on our, our business model in general. Um, so to that degree, we, we are affected directly 
um, by by how the how the market moves, right? But this is of course in a in a in a bull market scenario. This is uh, um, a lot of uh, of kind of tailwind that you see. And then in a in a more bearish environment, there's more headwind to it. But I think we've learned very well how to navigate around this, how to um, also adjust um, the short term to mid term strategy to kind of um, accommodate uh, these fluctuations. And I think that then also allows you to comfortably uh, navigate through through those changing environments. But uh, I can't say that we we would not be affected. I mean that that it certainly wouldn't certainly be true. No, exactly. Yeah. All right. Okay. But, uh, so it's, these fluctuations, they're both an upside and a downside, I guess. Is is it? I, I guess there's many reasons for these types of fluctuations, right? What goes on in the world. But let's zoom in on one specifically, which is kind of the recent failures of some of these crypto-friendly banks. How do you feel that has impacted the volatility, or in general, has impacted the, the blockchain industry? Industry. I think um, Silicon Valley Bank was one of those, for example. Yeah. Yeah, before I touch Silicon Valley Bank, let's maybe look quickly at 22, right? Like yeah. I think because there was a lot of events that had um, significant impact on the on the crypto industry. And I'm not even talking about the macro situation, like a war in the world and stuff like that, but actually crypto-specific influences. And I think most prominently we saw in November, we saw the collapse of uh, one of the biggest crypto exchanges, which, which was FTX which of course changed quite significantly the, the overall market sentiment, um, the overall market positivity uh, as well. And uh, you saw that, I mean, the, the market price that you see for Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency is often just a reflection of kind of what's happening in the, in the industry itself and not to, a, um, um, to the degree of what is actually being built and how much innovation is happening, but obviously to the sentiment that, that is uh, being perceived in the market. And what kind of came out of that, uh, and that kind of leads also to Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank had run into issues independently of, of, of any crypto, right? I mean, they ran into issues for the change in, in interest rates, change in, in the overall uh, monetary policy. But they were obviously um, always seen also as a very crypto-friendly ban- bank. And with their struggles, we saw struggles of some other um, more regional providers, which were tending to be very crypto friendly. Often the larger uh, financial institutions, um, kind of the the, the biggest in the world, they are not um, historically very inclined to, to, to work either with crypto directly or indirectly by banking crypto providers. And so we saw these regional banks failing. Uh, those regional banks were very crypto friendly. Um, and with that, we saw, especially in the US, uh, yeah, a range of crypto uh, service providers um, just without a banking partner suddenly, right? And that then uh, complicated for uh, investors who want to invest into crypto or who want to divest from crypto. That was kind of closing some of the on what we call on ramps off ramps so how mm-hmm. you get from 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 us dollar euro into crypto and 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 vice versa and and suddenly those yeah on on off ramp opportunities were just disappearing so there was definitely <clears throat> this effect but i think what was very interesting to see after silicon valley bank's failure and the overall sentiment of a of a banking crisis is that we saw Bitcoin and the crypto market itself performing quite well in terms of 
um, asset price development, and that was also for, um, for at least for a long time the first time that we saw them a bit, um, let's say, uncorrelated from the traditional assets uh, or traditional securities environment, and that was actually quite a bullish sign, especially um, working in crypto, that we see actually okay. Kind of we're coming back to our initial promise why why bitcoin came to life right like it was happening in the last banking crisis in 2008-9 uh, as a alternative financial system kind of away from uh from 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 banking intermediaries away from central banks and suddenly in this uh, 2023 banking crisis we see this asset actually appreciating a lot um and i think for a lot of us in the industry but also uh, for the media this was kind of uh, uh, literally just a reminder where we actually started and why we started as an industry to, to be exactly that, to not be dependent uh, on the traditional financial system. But um, maybe to come to a, to, to a point here, I think it's also very important that we see a healthy coexistence of both, right? The traditional financial system, the traditional banking system, banking for crypto uh, providers and the crypto industry uh, on the side, I think, um, it's it's very, I see a difficult uh, future, at least for the short run, if we have a uh, let's say substantial banking crisis and substantial failure of the kind of fiat US dollar environment, um, because that's going to create a whole lot of problems. Um, that crypto probably is at the moment still too nascent to then just really absorb and and solve for. So for me, uh, the two have to coexist uh, for quite a bit longer. Are you struggling to plan your hiring strategy for 2023 in today's market? PCN is here to help. We offer a step-by-step -step consultation to provide tailored solutions to improve your hiring plan. Contact us today by visiting teampcn.com contact us to schedule your consultation and let us help you be ahead of your competition. Yeah, but it's interesting, like you said, it's it's basically the proof is in the pudding uh, in the sense of that it is crypto is seen as an alternative investment strategy asset class to kind of the regulated uh, financial uh, world, if you will. Um, so it seems that that kind of mission has been achieved. Let's see what the future beholds, right? But at least right now, it looks like it, it, it's definitely there. Um, how do you see maybe with those kind of collapses, with um, those crypto-friendly banks that went down, what is the sentiment of banks towards crypto now? Is crypto being debanked at the moment? I, I wouldn't go that far, right? I mean, it's definitely a situation that brings us a bit back to, to what we've seen in 2018 as well. So, for example, when we as a company started to look for, for banking partners, we really had struggled to find mm. to find the right partners because in the moment we we kind of we were asked about our business model and then we said, oh, we're going to safeguard crypto assets. Um, the conversation was very often just over, right? And, and no exp explanation or whatsoever why uh, this would be a problem. Um, and I think for some younger companies who are now coming into the market, I mean, now we are a financial, financial institution, we are regulated, which makes it easier to, to bank us, right? As a, as, a, as a bank to work with us because they understand much better their counterparty. But if you're a young company um, and uh, you're, you're looking for a banking partner because you raised some, some funding and maybe you even raised some um, some assets uh, um, that uh, some part in crypto, some part in fiat, 
so US dollars or so, then you suddenly find yourself in, in, in a difficult situation to find the right banking partner. And that I don't see really being, let's say, that gap being filled by any of the large traditional financial institutions. As I said earlier, they historically kind of like to stay away a bit from, from these business models. So what I think is a huge market opportunity right now is to kind of fill in that gap, right, for a lot of um, providers. And that is true uh, in the US. That's probably also true in, in Europe that um, kind of combining a crypto native business model with uh, some of the features of, of the traditional world, which is uh, um, um, fiat banking, ultimately. Um, I think that's definitely a gap to be filled. And I think we will see quite some, some innovation popping up there um, because where, where there is a market gap, the, the, that market gap will be filled. Right? That's the natural uh, uh, movement of things. Maybe this is a... An incorrect statement, but I feel that even the the crypto companies are basically dependent on the traditional regulated system, if you will. There's always financial service companies, banks behind them that are on the kind of uh, traditional finance system. Is that is that a right assumption, or am I totally out of the wrong in the wrong here? I mean, there, there is a strong coexistence. I mean, it depends a bit which business models you look at, but of course, um, let's take, maybe take stable coins, right? Yeah. So stable crypto tokens, which reflect a uh, fiat currency, for example, US dollar. So one token equals one US dollar. Um, and in the verge of the uh, problems of the Silicon Valley Bank, we saw that one of the largest uh, stable coins, USDC, suddenly was not worth one US dollar anymore, but they were worth 85 cents a dollar, right? And where did that come from? Um, that came from the fact that Silicon Valley Bank was actually holding the reserves. So every token is backed one-to-one, -one, uh, either by US dollar or any, um, any short-term uh, financial instruments. And suddenly those were at risk, right? So it's actually very funny that suddenly uh, the, the the promise of a secure banking partner where you back your 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 stablecoin one to one that foundation suddenly started shaking and with that suddenly the crypto market was affected so not the other way around that the what is often being uh, put out also by, by by regulators or so that the crypto market might have a negative impact on the traditional financial system uh, i don't think that we've seen a lot of proof of that, not, not in, in times of FTX and, and not in any other um, crisis, but actually the other way around, we've seen it very much. So the actual promise of the traditional regulated um, industry, uh, at least for, for a long weekend, <laughs> for the Silicon Valley Bank weekend, uh, was, was shaking quite a bit in its foundation. And so, yes, there is this interdependence. And I mean, for us, as a, as a kind of crypto financial services provider, we are also in between, right? I mean, we, um, the, the assets that we hold in custody, we denominate them in US dollar value, right? As I said earlier, um, we pay our invoices in, uh, in fiat money, in USD or Euro, um, because we just are not in an economy just yet that is, uh, um, let's say, sufficiently crypto native that you can pay all your invoices in crypto, right? I mean, I, I definitely see in the long run that we will see more usage of stable coins. I, I'm, I've been hoping for a long time that um, this digital euro project at the European Central Bank would actually uh, form a very crypto native uh, digital euro. But I think my hopes are being 
being crushed uh, uh, pretty much um, on, on, on in this project. But that would then allow that any payment is somewhat on, on crypto rails, right? And I think that would be the future that um, I think would be incredibly exciting because in that moment, you would really see the two worlds, the traditional uh, um, financial system and the crypto uh, economy really uh, converge into, into one super powerful product. But um, I think that's probably a few more years, if not a decade to go. It's interesting. I think all of the crypto founders I spoke to, including yourself uh, on the podcast, I feel you're almost fighting against the sentiment sometimes, the sentiment of the t- traditional financial world to show that crypto is a uh, valuable and um, not risky uh, asset class to use or indeed to uh, rails to use for building a digital euro on, for example. Do, do you feel that way? Is it sometimes you're just basically had uh, bouncing your head against the wall um i want to differentiate a bit between i think crypto as an asset class and then the crypto as a technology stack right and because yeah. the asset class itself i mean yes it is risky you know i mean uh, i mean obviously no financial advice or whatsoever but <laughs> there is there is a lot of risks uh, involved in, in in investing in crypto but um, the same goes if you suddenly and, and i mean all these new uh, um, uh, brokers that came up, uh, neo brokers in, in in Europe, that made investing into single stocks super easy. And I mean, in the pandemic, everyone was bored and started buying Tesla shares, which is also a very very risky bet, right? Because you're betting on uh, on the on the development of a single company, which can go both ways, right? It can be very successful and it can uh, deteriorate in value. And we've seen it all, right? So I had enough friends not only burning their, hand, uh, their fingers by investing some money into crypto, but by doing some stock picking and uh, uh, trying to, to kind of beat the market by thinking they can find the right stocks instead of investing into a uh, um, MSCI world or whatsoever, right? So um, I think, so what I'm just trying to say there is of course risks involved, but what I very much pitch and I've been pitching this uh, uh, since I entered the, the crypto space, it is a legit asset class that uh, um, is very much, I think, needed to diversify your portfolio. And I think it makes a lot of sense uh, to diversify your portfolio. And um, to me, it's just so clear that this kind of digital store of value, and I'm now talking about Bitcoin, uh, should be in anyone's portfolio who's trying to diversify a bit the risk away from uh, from a single asset, uh, to diversify the risk away from inflation. Um, I think that's where Bitcoin should play a role. How much percentage of a certain portfolio that would be, uh, I think that very much, much depends on the on the risk profile, et cetera. But um, what I secondly wanted to touch is crypto as a technology, right? And I think that's where we as an industry still have a long way to go to, to really make the wider public, but also the uh, regulators, the financial industry, or in that case, the traditional financial industry, understand the benefits and understand the actual technological value of of crypto. And I think we've come a long way, but it's still a long way to go. Uh, because when I see also the um, kind of development of, I think it's called now real world assets on the blockchain, so which can be any traditional financial instrument, be it stocks, bonds or whatever. Uh, we actually just had a new legislation draft in Germany or new strategy by the German financial ministry, which wants to bring stocks on chain or at least allow for it 
on chain because it's so efficient it's so uh, instant it's uh, it's just a technology that can um, really move away a lot of the expensive intermediaries that we have in the traditional world so i think to just show that this technology can do much more than just being a a bet or a, a speculative asset I think that's still where a lot of us, the founders in the space, are, are yeah, kind of uh, bringing bringing the word out and trying to show uh, what this technology can do. And I think this is still uh, uh, also our job for the next years ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's still, uh, like you said, there's a lot of opportunity there, but still a long road to go, I think, in order to capitalize on all those uh, opportunities on, uh, on both ends. Um, Eric, I have way more questions for you, but let me maybe close this off by saying you guys six weeks ago i think you said right you took three years to get three additional uh license approvals by the by the bafin which is obviously a huge milestone for uh for finoa what's next for you guys is there something you can do now you have those licenses or is there other big plans that you have as, as a company um yeah so you mentioned it's, it's been a big milestone and uh, it, it really was and i think i'm i can uh, only say how, how proud i am of, of our team uh, to, to have achieved that because the, the German regulator is known to be rather conservative uh, and they are also known to be uh, um, yeah, not, not, not the easiest probably in, in getting those licenses. So it, it's really hard work. And for us, uh, as you mentioned, it was a two and a half, three years process to get there. Um, a process of um, working uh, uh, with a regulator, explaining who we are, what we do, what the business model is, explaining also a lot about the industry. Um, but also for us maturing as a company, right? So we learned a lot uh, on the way uh, to now call ourselves a, a licensed regulated financial institution. Um, so that that was a, a, a process that were, uh, was long, but I think uh, absolutely worth it going um, because it does, and that comes to the second part of your question, it does open uh, a lot of new uh, avenues for us. Uh, for example, we just, uh, I think two weeks ago, we launched a, uh, um, brokerage trading product uh, together with a partner, which only the license allowed us to do. So we kind of had it ready in the in the drawer to put it out with the, with the license approval, so that our customers who hold their assets in custody with us, that they also get access to liquidity and can trade their assets. Um, that is obviously a logical evolution of a pure, uh, let's say, safeguarding product, right? Because uh, uh, once you have the perceived security once you have your assets in, in in a secure environment then you also think about what's next right and um when you ask what's next for finoa um so the license opened those new avenues for us but of course for us it's really about um growing in this multi-product uh, environment that we want to offer to our to our customers because uh, if you think a bit about the journey of an institutional investor um, kind of investing into crypto, it really has different steps. It's often you have uh, fiat money, then you want to invest that fiat money into crypto. Then at one point you want to uh, um, change your portfolio and trade your crypto. Then you have um, crypto specific use cases like staking, which as uh, I mentioned earlier that we already offer, but you also have this entire decentralized finance DeFi uh, environment where you can generate additional yield uh, on your assets. And that's kind of the environment that we want to uh, provide access to, uh, always out of um, this curated platform. So um, um, kind of helping uh, the uh, um, token holder, taking them by the hand and giving them this secure 
um, access. And I think that's what we are building out as we speak, partly with the help of, of licenses, but uh, often also with, with, uh, with the help of, of, of just uh, product innovation, right? Uh, that we bring, bring to, to market and uh, that we as a, as a, as a tech company with a, with a regulated, um, with a regulated umbrella, uh, basically need to, need to, need to bring to, to also grow this industry, grow us as a company and continue to provide, um, this, this cornerstone of infrastructure. Awesome. Big plans for the future. By the sounds of it, which is exciting. Yeah, you always have to have big plans. Right? Yeah, yeah, so true. So like, true. Uh, once they're small, you, you can better stop, right? Like, so. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Great, Henrik. Thanks for being on the show. Great to, uh, to have you and, and share some well, the insights about uh, Finoa, but I, I think also about kind of the crypto market today um, and what's been happening in, in the last couple of weeks. Um, exciting for you guys for the future. Uh, keep those plans big. Um, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep a close eye on um, your trajectory and journey. Roger, thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Been a pleasure talking to you about crypto. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of InCheck with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to stay updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.